This season of the Christian calendar is called Advent, right? And Advent is, is the, uh, just means the coming, the, the arrival. Um, and it's this time that every year before Christmas, we wait for Jesus' coming, right? And I know that every year we see that the Christmas gets, I think this year I saw Christmas decorations before Halloween, that we're out, right? Um, so it kind of is creeping back and back this, this season of, uh, of Christmas. And yet this time that we spend, we spend waiting for Jesus's arrival, right? Even though he's come. And so this year, uh, we're going to spend four weeks talking about the arrival of Jesus, but maybe in a way that we haven't talked about before. Because we always think about, like Dan said, you know, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And that's, and that's what we do celebrate at Christmas. Um, but it was more than just the birth of a, of a baby, it was more than just the birth of um, an important historical figure, you know, like we have uh, President's Day or whatever. We celebrate our President's birthdays. Um, it, was, it was more, it was so much more. And as I was praying through this and considering maybe how we can approach this, I want to give you kind of the overview of what, what I would like to do with you if you will go with me. I, I want to really talk about the kingship of Jesus. We talked in here before uh, together about how Jesus his last name isn't Christ, right? It's not Jesus Christ. And, you know, his middle name isn't H, right? Um, it's Jesus the Christ. Uh, he, it's a title that he has. He, he is the messianic uh, fulfillment of Scripture. All the First Testament, the Old Testament of Scripture was written about Jesus' arrival. And so when we celebrate Christmas, this is the arrival of the Messiah. And uh, we talk to, uh, uh, you know, we always talk about Jesus as our friend. Jesus is uh, the one who loves us. Jesus is the one who died for us. Uh, Jesus is our Savior. And yet, uh, we don't often talk about Jesus as our King, as our King, Right? And, and this is a place, and what's so funny is in our culture, um, I, I was trying to think of like what, what are things in our culture we even think about being kingly anymore. You know, we have the royal wedding that's coming up now, right? And uh, I'm not into it. I don't know if anybody in here is, and if you are, I'm sorry, you know. But it's almost like even the last remaining kingdom that we can think about is almost a joke. Like it's a joke. It's, there's no real power there. Um, a lot of, pre- a lot of uh, ritual and, and stuff like that. And I think we've really lost touch with what it means to have a king in our life. We talk about in the First Testament, whenever we see the word Lord in most of our Bibles, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's actually the word Yahweh. That's the name of God, the righteous, holy creator of everything. And it was so holy that, that um, the, the Jewish people wouldn't even speak it. And we say Lord, and then in the, in the New Testament, we say Lord, but it's different. Uh, the word is kurios, and it means uh, ruler, uh, master, right? Sovereign. We say these things about God, but I'm not sure that we really understand what they mean. And so if you'll journey with me, what I'm hoping to do is we can start considering four major times in Jesus' life when his kingship is expressed, when his rule is expressed, and it's expressed for the whole world. And the question that you don't have to answer all the time is this. Will we accept him as king? More than just, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. Right? King Jesus. Do we believe it? And so rather than going kind of forward, I thought we would start and go backward from the time where we are thinking about the next time we'll see Jesus as king. And this is what today's uh, message is about. Today's message is about this returning of the king. But before we do that, I want to talk about maybe a way we can get into this um, idea 
of what a king, you know, what this looks like for us really in our lives. And so I had this, uh, this cute little picture here of a throne, right? And um, a, a great friend, and uh, he's here today. I'm so glad Don is here today. And uh, he, he talked about this at our breakfast. And, and, and I've seen, you know, Bill Bright, some of you guys would know this, uh, has talked about this before. But there's this idea that in our lives we have this throne, this chair of rule, of authority, of power, of, of purpose. And, and the question that we have to ask is, is who's in the chair, right? Because someone is making your life decisions for you. Someone is doing these things. I'll remember that a, a friend of mine, when I came to Jesus to know him as Savior, as Lord, as Master, as Sovereign, a friend of mine said, that's great. You've decided to change your life. And I said, no, I haven't. I've decided to let Jesus change my life. I mean, it's not that I was making these decisions, I was actually getting off of the throne. And so as we talk about this, there's kind of this idea that we all have this kind of chair. Maybe you don't know that you have it, but you do. And, and, and there's this idea that someone is ruling in your life. Someone's in charge of your life. Now, most of us, if you're like me, and, and you were raised in this culture, you want to be in the chair. Because it's fun to be king, isn't it? I mean, I remember whenever I was in charge of everything, it was awesome. It was a total mess. But it was a lot of fun. There weren't any rules. And if there were, you made them up because you're king, you know. And, uh, and, and this works for a while. But the truth is that at some point in your life, you start to ask the question, is this really what it's about? Bill's way is the right way. Everyone else is wrong. I am sovereign over everything. I create my own destiny. I make my own tomorrows. And maybe you can pretend like that for a while. Maybe you can pretend with your whole life. But for me, it just ran out of gas because I knew it was a mess. There was no order in the kingdom. There was no purpose in the kingdom. There was no sovereign in my kingdom. And so into this chair, then you have to ask, well, who should sit? And, and instead of leaving the chair empty, of course, this chair is, is reserved because there's a God who made you, who, who spoke the universe into existence, who knit you together, who loves you, and who died for you. And, and what we do is we end up leaving this chair for Jesus. This means that it's wholly and completely his, Right? If you think about a king and a ruler, what does a king need? A king needs subjects, right? A king is there to be glorified and worshipped. And there's a posture that seems so um, poignant in our walk as we submit to Jesus. And it's this idea that you take a knee at the foot of the king. Now this chair, you see, Jesus won't demand it from your life. I mean, he won't say, move over, you're in my seat. By the way, have you ever had that happen in your life? Have you ever gone to like, I don't know, a baseball game? And you get there and you found your seats and you're having a great time and there are better seats than you thought, you know? <laughs> like, this is awesome. And then somebody walks up and they go, and the usher's with them. And they're like, um, excuse me, sir. You're in my seat. Have you ever, my daughter's gonna go to the Fox Theater today. Have you ever gone to the Fox Theater? 
And, and you get settled in, and it's dark, and the seats are like that. They're kind of comfy and really ornate, and you're like, and they're better seats than you thought you purchased. I must have this problem consistently. <laughs> and the usher comes up with a little flashlight and goes, <clears throat> Sir, you're in the wrong seat. Now imagine, if you will, you're before the sovereign of the universe, and, and he's not going to demand his seat. But when you've had your comfy fill, when you've ruled and you've reigned and you've wrecked, and Jesus at the end might say, you've been in my seat the whole time. I believe it's Jesus' seat in our lives. I believe that he is to be sovereign over us and we are to be obedient to him. You know, I was thinking about this as a church and what we do here at Family Bible Church and, and what so many churches do. And one of the things that I'm very hesitant to do or reluctant to do is tell you what you should do to follow Jesus. Do you know why? I believe Jesus is telling you what you should do to follow him. He is sovereign. I am not. He's sovereign over you and sovereign over me. And so when we empty this throne in our life and we say, Jesus, this throne is for yours, then we listen to our king and our master and we serve. And we serve him. So I wanted to get that image in your head as we start that there's this, there's this place of righteousness, of, of uh, rule that Jesus has in our life. He ought to have in our life. And then we're going to talk today about the return of the king. The return of the king. I want to share with you the majesty of Jesus' return because we talk a lot about his birth and about his death and about his resurrection. But we're going to kind of start at, at the, the end and work our way back toward the beginning here on the 19th. And so if you didn't bring a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you in a moment to grab one of yours. Um, I mean, grab one of ours. If you didn't bring one of yours, grab one of ours. But as we get into the Word today... Uh, I'm going to invite you to enter in with me in prayer because this is a holy book inspired by God and God's spirit helps us discern what it says. It helps you discern what it says. And so go with me if you would to prayer. Uh, Father God, today we come into your house, into this ordinary middle school in an ordinary town and yet we know that you do extraordinary things. And, and we're here waiting on you. Lord, we do not say obey us, do our will. We, we don't come to you making demands of you. We come listening to you. We come seeking your wisdom for our life. We come today, Jesus, into your throne room, waiting on you to speak. And so today, as you will, and as your spirit moves here, I, I, we pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear that we have hearts that were soft to your word and minds that will be open to its truth, that we might finally turn ourselves toward you. We love you and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for worship. I give you praise today in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. So grab a Bible if you didn't already. We're going to turn to the book of Revelations. This is going to be Revelations uh, 19 verses 11 and 12. 
And I just want you to hear the majesty of the return of Jesus. I, I, I know we've, you've probably I mean, you've heard these things before. Maybe you've watched TV shows about him and stuff like this. But I want you to hear what John writes about the majesty of Jesus' return. Now, Revelation, I want to remind you, is a book that's written on an island called Patmos, right? And it's written by John. They called him John the Seer because he could see God, right? And he had this experience where God came and gave him this revelation, this revelation. And the, the key of this book, if you continue to read it and, and to read the whole thing front to back, this book of Revelation, it's about the Alpha and the Omega. And this is the way it's, the word speaks it to us, about he who is he who was and he who is to come, right? This sovereignty of God over all things and all times. And so I'm going to pick up here with you, if you would, um, in verse 11 of chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. Hear it with me. This is John writing. He says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and his thigh, he has this written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And this place in the book of Revelation, I want to, you know, the book, if you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it. And it can be one of those books that's overwhelming to you. But there is so much uh, stuff that's happened already before this portion of Scripture comes. And uh, I want to remind you that, that already the earth has been shaken to its core. It's been stripped so profoundly that the men who are left are hiding in caves, terrified of what's coming. And into this place comes the king riding on a white horse. You know, we have this tendency to tread upon Jesus' good graces. We have this tendency to treat Jesus like when we see him, he's going to be our homeboy. You know, like Joey down the block. You know what I mean? And yet when we hear the imagery of Scripture about the return of the sovereign king, the one who is called faithful and true, the one who will dispense justice righteously, it doesn't sound like somebody you want to, you know, pal around with. It sounds like someone that you would want to have known and served. It sounds like someone that you will have want to have been on his side before the fighting started. In this book of Revelation from this island on Patmos, John has this vision of Jesus returning and his demand for righteousness. It says, he is dressed in a robe that's been dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. You'll remember from the gospel of John, the same thing is said, the opening words. And he has these armies that are coming in behind him and all men are terrified 
about what's to come. If nothing else, we have to say this about the return of Jesus. We have to say that it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big deal. This morning, Dale Compton and I were talking after we set up, this mor- uh, set up our, our chairs and stuff today, and we were talking about, you know, the, the return of Christ and wh- what we know about it and what we believe about it and how it's going to, you know, uh, listen, we know he's coming. And that should be enough. We know he is coming and he will be sovereign and that should be enough. So here we have this recording of the return of Jesus. It's glorious, it's overwhelming, it's amazing, it's a spectacle, it's terrifying, and it's true. And you know he's the one that's coming to rule and to reign forever and ever. Now, the last thing I want you to see in the book of Revelation here, and we could talk about so much more stuff in here, but he comes as king of kings and lord of lords. And he comes and the clouds are rolling and there's all this imagery of the armies of heaven behind him coming to dispense justice did you hear what it said he's going to strike down nations he's going to rule with an iron scepter he's going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God almighty if nothing else the coming of Jesus is glorious it's beautiful And you go, that doesn't sound beautiful if you don't want to get in tread on. It's beautiful if you demand righteousness and holiness and purity. God says, I will return. You know, it's often said that that this is probably why so much of the time we don't understand the significance of the cross of Christ. We don't understand what the big deal is about the cross of Jesus. Because we don't understand the demand that God has for righteousness that he is holy and pure. And that even his son, who went so willingly to a cross, who so willingly gave himself over to men like you and me to be killed, will come back as king. I don't know about you, but on that day, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. So the second thing I want to talk about, we're going to back up here in the scripture a little bit, is this. It's the manner in which Jesus will return, right? The manner in which he'll return. Now, I, I, I told you I was talking to Dale earlier, and you know, you get into Revelation, and you get into the book of Daniel, and you get into the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and, and uh, it's just overwhelming, really. But I want to show you one simple thing here. If you'll turn, uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 11. It's easy verse to remember. It's Acts 1, 1, 1, right? Acts 1, 11. It's on page 756 if you use one of our Bibles, or 750, yeah, 6. And I just want to remember that this, that this return of Jesus isn't just like a revelation thing. It's not like, you know, God just decided later to tell John about this. The return of Jesus has been predicted for a long time. And here, in the book of Acts, which is written by the author of Luke, Right? As a history, the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the apostles, the early church. I'm actually going to back up a little bit, and I'm going to start reading um, together. Let's start with verse 6 of the first chapter of Acts. So this is what happens. Jesus says, um, the, the word says, so when they met together, 
they ask him. Well, actually, let me back up a little more because I want to show you what's going on here. On one occasion in verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift that the Father promised, which you have heard me speak about already. Because John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, listen to the question. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They want to know, is this your time? Look at what the, the question is. Lord, not rabbi, Lord. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from his sight. Now, we talked about this before here, but here's the idea. They're talking to the Lord that was just the rabbi a few days ago, right? 40, what, 43 days ago, they were, they were just kind of, you know, hanging out with him. And they're talking to him, and it says he was taken up right before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Now, in verse 10, when they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, I love that, they suddenly saw two men dressed in white standing beside them. Men of Galilee, these men said. Why do you stand here staring into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So here's the early church. This is the very foundations of the early church. They've been talking to Jesus about their mission in the world. And then Jesus is taken away in the same manner, in the same way into the clouds. And, this, and he says, why are you staring at the sky? Jesus will come back that same way. That same way. So the return of Jesus will look like the ascension of Jesus, only in the opposite order, right? He's coming back the same way. And so this is what we expect in his return. But um, we also know this, that the return of Jesus will be unexpected in its timing. We know how it will happen. We know what it'll look like that, but it will be unexpected completely in the way it returned, in the way he returns to us. As a matter of fact, there's a little bit of a clue here. It says, when they were looking intently into the sky, the, the two men in white said, why are you staring? <laughs> you know, in other words, he's going to come back, but it's going to be in his way, in his time, in the same way. And so, you know, the church could just stood around all day looking at the sky like, now? Is it now? As a matter of fact, you'll remember that, that the Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote a bunch, uh, several letters to churches saying, it hasn't happened yet. There are men trying to deceive you saying Jesus has returned, but it hasn't happened yet. So, that's the second thing, is the manner in, of the return of King Jesus. Now, the third is this. I want to get into what Jesus taught about his own return. And so, if you would turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to spend all of our time here today. Matthew 24, verse 30. We're going to dig in here into the Gospel account. Because this is Jesus himself talking about the return, uh, his own return. Matthew 24. Or 20, yeah, 24. I'm going to start in verse 27. And we'll kind of just talk through this um, a little bit. So Jesus is kind of preparing his disciples and he said this. He, he says a whole bunch of stuff here. So we can't even back up because there's no place to start. So we'll just start at 27. For as the lightning comes from the east, uh, I'm sorry, for as the lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the stress of those days, and Jesus here quotes Daniel, um, the sun will be darkened, 
Oh, it's Isaiah, I'm sorry. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven, heavens to the other. I'm going to go ahead and finish out that little section there. So now, learn this lesson well from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender, its leaves come out, and you know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, I want to remind you what we've done here in the sequence of events. We started with John on Patmos, who's writing this book of Revelation, the very last book in the New Testament. And we backed up to the early church after the resurrection of Jesus, where he ascends into heaven. And now we've gone back before the crucifixion, where Jesus himself is saying, this will be how I will return to you. This will be, this will be what the return of the Son of Man will look like in the sky. All three Gospels record the same teaching. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record the same teaching that we find here in Matthew. And, and I just wanted you to hear it from his lips, that the things that Jesus talked, we talk a lot about what he ta- things he taught, but this is something he taught to his disciples before he went to the cross. He even said things like, these days will be distressful. He said that the nations will be terrified. The nations will mourn. And he almost exactly describes what John later writes about in his revelation from God. So here we have King Jesus himself speaking about his own return. We talked, um, we had communion last week at the end of our series, and, and it was the third Sunday, that's what we, we just do here. It's just a random decision. But we, we received communion together, and, and this is something that Jesus instituted. And there's this uh, passage of scripture that records that Jesus says, I will not again taste this cup until I come back. That in this meal with the disciples, there's kind of this time in between. And, and we're all part of it. You and I are all part of this time in between. Jesus' redemption and Jesus' return as king. We live in this time that he's come and yet coming again. And I hope that as we come back to the manger, come back to the birth of our Savior, Jesus, we can realize in a very profound way that this child is our ruler and our sovereign. That he is indeed the, uh, the maker of our days. So, I want to, um, the last thing I'm going to talk about this morning is this, our response to this imminent return of King Jesus. So, this is kind of the so what question. I mean, so if you believe, you know, read the scripture yourself, he's coming back, and if he's coming back, what does it mean? And there could be this thing of like obsession over staring at the skies, which is clearly rebuked in scripture, and there could be this thing of, of this uh, terror of what's, you know, what's coming. We'd be, we could be anxiety-ridden about the coming of Jesus, the return of the king. I don't believe that's what he's called us to at all. And so I'm going to push forward. If you want to probably turn the page there, we're going to read the Ma- uh, Matthew 25. Um, I want to say one thing in the middle here. There's a whole bunch of stuff, but I want to take a point with um, a couple of verses in 24. 
And uh, let me see what they are here real quick. Yeah, 2442. Jesus says this to his disciples, because of these things I'm telling you about my return, keep watch, because you don't know what the day or the hour that your Lord will come, right? And then he he goes on later to say, um, in 44 and 45, I'll read those with you. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now, it sounds like it may be watching, but I don't believe it is. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, Jesus asked, whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so caring for others when he returns, caring for the house of God. And so this is what our work of response to the the coming of Jesus is, is to serve in the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to jump ahead to 25, and uh, I'm going to read you this story. You've probably heard it before, but I want you to see that it comes right after the the end of Jesus' prophecy about his own return. Right on the tail of it all, he tells this story. He tells actually three stories about what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And this is where I think that this plugs in for you and for me in a very real and tangible way. I think, honestly, it leaves us without excuse. Hear what the word says with me. In verse 14 of chapter 25, it says this. Again, it, and it here is the kingdom of God. If you, you know, see at the very top there, 25.1, at that time, the kingdom of heaven. So here we go. Again, it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his pro- property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, and to another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received, I'm actually going to stop right there. I think I want to stop right there at 19. So after a long time, the master, because we've heard the rest of the story, and I don't want to get off into that. You can read that yourself. But I just wanted to, to see that, that this story of the kingdom of heaven being like a, a, a master who has given his stuff to his servants and gone away is exactly what Jesus had just said he will do, that he would return as king. And so in this way, we can read this scripture and we can realize that this parable is about you and I. This parable of the kingdom of heaven is going to be like his going away and then entrusting his property to us. You can read on the rest of the story about what, a, you know, and like I said, it kind of gets, to me, in my mind, it, it gets a little convoluted about who gets what and what, you know, it offends our fairness and stuff. But the root issue is this. Jesus is saying, God, the master, has invested, right? I was talking to a friend of mine a few weeks ago about spending time. And I said, I think I'd rather wish we'd say investing time. And they go, well, I don't like to say investing because it sounds like you're going to get a return. No, we invest time and God gets the return. That's how I think that works. I don't think we invest time hoping to get a return for ourselves. But we work in the kingdom of God and the return is his, not ours. We don't expect it. 
And so in this way, we hear this, uh, this same thing. A talent, I want to remind you, it's really funny. I love that it's a word talent here. Some have gone to just purely money. You know, God gave them some money, five times the money and two times the money. I love that the NIV keeps the word talent in here. A talent was a measure of wages. And it was, uh, at one point, I think my footnote says about $1,000. But I found something really interesting. A talent was equivalent to about 20 years day labor. I don't know if you've ever been a day laborer, but you don't get much as a day laborer, <laughs> you know. And it's not a lot of fun to be a day laborer either. You can stand around hoping for work that day, and some guy offers you a pittance, and you take it, right? And so this talent was equivalent to about 20 years of a day laborer's wages. And what this is saying is that God has invested that in each one of us. You know, whenever he talks about five times, then what is it? That's 100 years. Two times, that's 40 years. One time, that's 20 years. That God has invested talents in us. And it's our obligation. It's our pleasure. It's our purpose to turn those back to him. The gifts and the talents that we have. See, I think that the key here in, in understanding our response to the imminent return of Jesus is to understand that God has invested in you. God has invested heavily in you. And not only that, but I believe that this, this parable teaches us that God has not only invested heavily in you, but he's trusted you with it. Right? He's entrusted it to your care. 20 years of a day laborer's wages. I think the third thing that we've already heard in Scripture, when you think about that glorious return of Christ, when you think about him coming to rule and to reign as sovereign forever, is that when he comes back, he's going to demand an account for his investment. I think it would be dishonest me to stand up and say, eh, you'll be fine. You know, Jesus can be like, eh, it's cool. Don't worry about it. You know, I, I, I don't believe that for a minute. I believe that in some way we have to turn everything that we have back to him. I mean, in some way, I'm not saying you have to quit your job, but I'm saying in some way your job has to return of, of investment to Jesus and what he's made in you. In some way, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, but your marriage in some way has to return glory to God who's invested in you. In some way, every meal that you eat, everything that you do, as a servant to the king, has to return an investment to him. Because there's coming a day whenever he will want an account for what you've done with what he's invested. So I want to I finish it right here this morning with you. Kind of back to where we started I just want to read, I'm going to, you don't have to turn there, but um, I want to read right before the rider of the white horse in the book of Revelations comes. This is, this is what the angel said to John about the coming of the lamb. He said this, he said, then the angel said to, to me, John, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, those are the very true words of God. And at this, hearing this, John fell at his feet and began to worship the angel 
But he said, don't you do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God alone. Because the testimony of Jesus is the very spirit of prophecy. I, I, I want to share that with you because in the end, everyone cast their crown before his throne. And I just don't know where you are today. Maybe, maybe you have given your life. Maybe you've just said, Jesus, there it is. You know, rule, reign over me. But if you haven't done that today, I'm going to invite you to do that. As God wills and as God leads, this isn't magic, but I believe that this is our call as human beings is to acknowledge Jesus' sovereignty over us. Maybe you're still comfortable in the chair or maybe you're ready to give it up. Maybe you're ready for a change. I'm going to invite you wherever you are today to pray with me as you feel led. Join me in prayer. Father, today we have come to your word and we've come honestly, Father, to hear things that are too great for us. Some truths that are so profound that they just cause us to tremble. And yet we know you're sovereign over us. Father, today, we pray that you would have that throne seat in our life. That if we've been in your way, if we've been in your seat, that we would move and let you rule. Father, today, we pray as we come to you, we pray a prayer of salvation, of thanks. We take a knee before you and we say, thank you, Jesus for what you've done. Maybe today is the day that we give everything to you. We ask all these things not by our own power or wisdom or insight. We ask them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that your Spirit would compel us towards your kingdom. Compel us toward your purpose. May you be glorified through everything, good and bad. And our prayer today is that on that day, we know you. We love you so much. And we thank you for King Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So the last thing I want to share before we sing our final song of worship here is the family challenge this week. And it's to invest talents wisely. To, to maybe examine your life and wonder, do you believe that the talents that you've been entrusted with have been given to you by God and how are we going to invest those things? I don't know if you've even known, and I, I don't want to, but I, there's been so many people who pour their talents out for the glory of God and I pray that today God's been glorified by that. And I hope that it asks us in our own hearts, how are we investing ours? So we're going to invite you now to sing with us if you would. Uh, we're going to sing a final praise song of worship, and then we will uh, fi finish our services today. <laughs>